Pulse for Science. Mm-hmm. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the me being in Chicago for the past couple of days to Adam being in Chicago the next couple of days. It's Adam Amoala. How's it going? Uh, It's going well. I'm not going to be in Chicago, though. I thought you were. Wait, are you doing zanies? Uh, In September, I am. Uh, that's, that's close enough. You know, you're a stand-up comedian. Something that's in a couple of days sure. or happened a couple of weeks ago could have been five years that's ago. That's true. That's true. We'll go for it. No, actually, I'm going to uh, I'm going to Toronto tomorrow. Ooh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Or as I've been told to pronounce, Toronto. Yeah. I learned the hard way because I've always There's said... There's no second T. No, it's like Trenton, where mm-hmm. we grew up, or Trenton. at least near where we grew up. Yeah. And I think I was trying to realize why I always hit the T in Toronto so hard. And I think it's because for most of my life, the only connotation I had with Toronto was sports teams. And I feel like sports announcers would always be like, it is the Toronto Raptors and like would always hit it hard. So I have to kind of unlearn my very formal Toronto and hit it with a Toronto. Yeah. It's an adjustment for sure, but uh, yeah, going up to Toronto tomorrow. I'm going to see see my uh, Cubbies play the Blue Jays. Going to cross another stadium. Oh, baseball reference! We did it. An early one. In. An early one. <laughs> I think I'll be down to only six stadiums that I haven't seen after seeing the Rogers Century, C E N T R E, and then mm-hmm. going to uh, a tennis tournament on Saturday. The semifinals, the men's semifinals of the National Bank Open. So might see. World number one, Carlos Alcaraz, which is how you say it in Spanish. Look, I'm very proud of him beating Djokovic. That oh, would yeah. be very happy. Oh, yeah. Okay, enough other sports. Let's talk about basketball. Oh, to man. prepare ourselves for <laughs> talking about basketball, we need to bring ourselves into the Teal Memorial Locker Room, which is just a great place with really high-quality shampoos and conditioners mm-hmm. and stuff like that that just makes... Every part of your body just feel fantastic. I say this every time. We got to reach out to Dr. Teals. I mean, what, what we are we We honestly doing? should. Let's do it. Yeah. I just did a round of emails for some of my other podcasts where I just hit up brands that I genuinely use. And I'm like, hey, I use your stuff. And sometimes people ask me about them. You want to make this official? Yeah. TBD on if anything comes through. <laughs> hey, I think that's a good approach. It's nice to be able to endorse things that we actually like and care about. Yeah. Shoot your shot. But you know, we really do like and you know who we do care about. I mean, each other, but also our patrons. Our patrons, yes. Obviously, we do care about each other. But we also do really appreciate all of the support from all of our patrons, and especially the support from our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Junko Chasing Taco Falls, bang, bang, Roast Beef Debris, how about them world champion Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Reed, Steph Curry has pipes, bang, <laughs> Hi, Trish, Nicole, Arsenal, Stubby Boardman gets paid, Chase Hunderulo, Mr. Bubbles plays ball, Naked Rachel, and Sidney Crosby is a vampire. Hmm. We'll talk more about the Steph Curry pipes thing later. Oh, yes. Indeed, we will. But you know what we will also be talking about right now? I would say our sponsor. It is our sponsor. Our sponsor is Tab for a Cause. Earlier in this episode, we were talking about wanting to support and talk about things that you genuinely like and enjoy and use. Tab for a Cause. I use it. 
and you help raise money for charity while you use it. And it's super easy because every time you open a tab on a browser, you get to give money to charity. It's pretty sweet. We got to do our tab monster check in. I hear you doing a big inhale, exhale, which means you might have a lot of tabs open. I got five. How many do you have resident tab monster, Adam? I have five, but then I have another <gasps> five after that. And then I have a third group of five after that. And then I have five more after that. So I have 20, but all in groups of five. Yeah, so that makes it better, right? Well, I think look, so. if you've got tab for a cause, that's money for charity. So you're doing great. If you go to tabforacause.org slash horse, you can install it in your browser in just a couple of clicks. Super simple. And every time you open a tab, you get a picture of a very pretty nature scene or architecture scene. And then you might see some ads in the corner, but those ads raise money for charity. And then you can pick what charities get supported. There's a lot of good organizations. Sometimes they do timely things. It's super simple and you raise money for charity doing stuff you would already be doing anyway. So why not make your internet browsing proactive in helping the world? So you can sign up again at tab for a cause, T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E dot org slash horse. And then you're good to go. There you go. Uh, you know, a tab for cause is great. I think I need to start considering what my cause for a tab is. Maybe I don't have mm. the cause mm. needed to open a new tab and I should be a little more discerning. Your cause could be raising the money. That's so it's true. That's a true. cause for a tab for a cause. And then you're right back in the perfect sweet spot. Wow. <laughs> now, before we continue the rest of the episode, we're going to take a tiny little break here for some ads. Some of them will be read by us. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by us are inserted locally. So if you live in a country where English is not the primary language, you might hear an ad in that different primary language. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Horse. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And we are back. Adam, what do you got going on in your life? You know, I've got comedy going on. I'm trying mm. to think if there's anything super new that has come up since the last time we recorded. But when you are listening to this on Monday, later this week, I will be in Tennessee. So on Thursday evening, I'm headlining a show in Nashville. It's at a place called... The Dive, I want to say. Um, you can find all the links. We're going to post them. I believe it's actually a free show, so you can come out to the show in Nashville. And then on Friday and Saturday, I'm going to be headlining Comedy Catch, which is a club in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I'll be there for headlining shows Friday and Saturday. And then, uh, as uh, Mike alluded to earlier, I will be in Chicago. This one is, I would say, the most important one if you want to, uh, to come support me somewhere. Tuesday, September 19th, I'm headlining Zany's Old Town, uh, but just for one night. It's one... A one show sort of deal. So come out there as well. And uh, yeah, I think that's mostly it. I'll have other stuff coming up as well. But uh, what do you have going on? Those all sound great. I'm excited. People should come out to your shows. As far as what's going on my end, I believe the last time I talked about this, but there are tickets now live on sale for my next little set of shows. So Washington, D.C., which is really in Vienna, Virginia, that is live as well as New York and Philly. Those tickets are now all live. You can go to schub.es slash tour for those shows. And I did look at the schedule. As long as things work out on your end, Adam, we should be able to have you be the guest for those new Olympian live shows in Philly and Sashore, New York, whichever you're feeling, if you're feeling both, both. But we might be uh, 
might be doing a little uh, crossover thing. You might be doing a little opening set and then be the guest for the show. Could be a real fun time. I think that could be a very fun time. And as far as I know, I should be around certainly for the New York one. And then is Philly the night before? Yeah, it is Saturday the 21st in Philly and then Sunday the 22nd in New York. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Cool. So yeah, that's what I have going on. But now what we have going on is NBQ&A, where we can answer questions from loyal listeners. So what do we got? Absolutely. So we actually, this is more of just like an informative email that we got, but it's it's very interesting. Now this is from Alex, aka Chase Underulo, who is of course mm-hmm. one of our uh, loyal producer level patrons. But we got an email that uh, the subject line was just, y'all, Shaq has a cookbook. The email said, hi, folks, your friend Chase Underulo here, just doing the Lord's work here. Yes, you are. And letting you know that my husband found Shaq's new cookbook at our local library. We made his biscuits and gravy pictures attached. It, period, was, period, incredible, period. Highly recommend. You're welcome to share this far and wide because everyone should know about it. Much love, Chase, a.k.a. Alex. So the book is called Shaq's Family Style Cookbook. It says championship recipes for feeding family and friends. Alex has has attached a photo of, I would say, a very successful attempt at, uh, not even attempt, just a very successful execution of biscuits and gravy with the pull-apart buttermilk biscuits and sawmill country gravy recipe next to it. I'll send these to you as well, or you can look on our email. But were you aware that this existed? And if not, do we need to do some sort of like three-on-three draft where we pick our favorite recipes? That could be a great future episode. I am looking right now. The cover for this cookbook alone, I think, makes it worth the purchase. There are three Shaquille O'Neal's on the cover, (laughs) which is the right amount. There are three Shaquille O'Neal's. He's wearing a really nice V-neck sweater. And in one picture, he is holding what looks like a brownie type dessert with a scoop of ice cream on top and a a la mode situation fork jabbed into it and he's Mm -hmm. smiling and looking off camera then he's holding what appears to be a chicken burger and he's laughing so hard that he is covering his stomach with his other hand he's laughing with the face of like when charles barkley inadvertently says something inappropriate or sexual Mm -hmm. like that's the vibe yes Yep. And then in the front is Shaquille O'Neal with a big serving plate full of what appears to be chicken thighs. And he's just giving a big sort of, hey, like he just burst into the kitchen with his completed chicken thighs. This is good. This is very good. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to get the cookbook, even if I don't make a single recipe. Just the cover art is so pleasant. And what's also very fun, obviously Shaquille O'Neal did not do any of these recipes. And you can see on the cover, it says Shaquille O'Neal with Rachel Holtzman, Matthew Silverman, and Matthew Pikarski. Okay. Pikarski. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Those three people made the cookbook. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But shout out to Shaq. Yeah, shout out to Shaq, shout out to Alex slash Chase Underulo for bringing this into our lives. I, frankly, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know about it. But yeah. now that I do, I'm glad that that we're able to share this with all of you as well. And uh, I tell you what, we're going to put a challenge out there. We would love to see your your photos of Shaq recipes, aka recipes that other people gave Shaq to use. Uh, you yep. know, mm-hmm. tweet it at mm-hmm. us, you know, at horse underscore hoops. Let us know what you're, what you're making. And, uh, you know, we'll repost and retweet and let's see what you're making out there. <laughs> I feel like the only thing that could have made the cookbook better is if it was spelled cookbook, but then instead of K's, it had Q's because it's Shaq. So it was like the cookbook. That would yeah, missed opportunity. Uh, maybe the sequel, they can do it. There you and go. And they can add us to the list of names of people who helped make the book. So it'll have those three folks and then and Mike Schubert and Adam. Uh, hey, why not? I'm happy to be yeah. a contributor. 
<laughs> so with NBA Q&A complete, we can now get into full court press. Get it? Like the news? Mm-hmm. So let's start with the saddest news so that we can progress into what I think is the coolest news, which is Steph Curry <laughs> and oh, just doing yeah. something immensely, immensely likable. Now, less likable, you texted me the Liz Cambage tweet and... Liz Cambage, who used to be in the WNBA and used to be part of the Australia women's national basketball team, had a situation where she wasn't with the team because of this rumored or at least reported about grumpy physical altercation and expletive, potentially racial slur laden scrimmage game against the Nigerian team, I believe. Yeah. And she posted this big notes app apology, but it was instead it was an Instagram screenshot story post apology. And she had all this stuff going on about like, oh, in light of footage that is circulating on the internet now, I wanted to set the story straight and give her side of the story. And she basically says that like, it was a very physical game going on. There was no referees and people were being really physical with her. So she got really upset. She doubles down that she didn't say any sort of racial slur or anything like that to the opponents. Uh, And then I saw the video that was going around and it's just Liz Cambage beating up a bunch of people. Elbowing people blatantly in the face, yeah. Elbows, slaps, all these hits over women that she is much larger than and just really being overly aggressive. And then one woman on the opposing team just gets fed up with it and does give her like a really intense looking sucker punch. But it's not where it's like, oh my goodness, where could this have come from? Like. I think it's the same person who hits her in the face multiple times, really egregiously. And then this person goes, you know what? I'm done with this. And just wails on Liz Cambage. So I don't know how effective the uh, let me get my side of the story out apology is going to be because she looks quite bad in the footage. But that's where it's at. And we'll have to see how it further develops. Any other uh, thoughts on this one? No, I mean, you you know more about it than I do. Um, but first of all, has there ever been an effective notes app or screenshot Instagram story apology that you can remember? Not where not where the person like actually goofed. I've seen some notes app things where people are like setting the story straight or like talking about something difficult going on in their life. But usually when it's I messed up, notes app doesn't work. I've seen a couple of people when they do just like video versions explaining things work a lot better. But the yeah. notes app screenshot just I don't know. It just doesn't work. It feels lazy. Feels like you could put a little more effort into it. There's usually typos and weird formatting. You know how I feel about it? It's similar to, and and I don't mean to offend anyone if this happened at your wedding, I don't recall if it did. If you're giving a speech at a wedding, please use a piece of paper, please. No mm, more cell phones, mm, no more iPads, mm, for the mm. love of God. It can be typed, that's fine. But it just, it looks so bad. Are we gonna be doing Mm -hmm. like eulogies on cell phones? I'm sure that's happened. Yeah, it's, I'm, a bit snotty and snooty when it comes to the best man or maid of honor speech. I get that everyone doesn't have good public speaking skills. So if you're not comfortable, but like you should in theory have months to prepare for this, if not years, right? Like maybe work on it. Like in your case, what you're saying, find a printer, like email it to yourself and go to a Kinko's. Like I agree. I agree. The the phone app is a tough look. The scrolling, you lose your play. Sometimes you're holding the microphone and the screen goes blank and you have to try to awkwardly touch it and do the face ID. I agree. Like I'm team like maybe learn it. Yeah. But yeah, I appreciate a physical thing. Johnny, who did the speech in my wedding, did print it out note cards. Oh, there you go. And I now have the note cards and they have lived in my bedside table 
ever since he gave them to me yeah, after the that's wedding. Cool. And if I'm ever feeling sad, I can read the writings of Aww. my buddy Johnny, who said nice things about me. And what's also great about the note cards is he had last minute editions where he like circled things and crossed things out Aww. and like made last minute notes. And it's really, really sweet. Like I think it would be funny if someone like from the SNL cast got married and they used uh, cue cards. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good idea. But anyway, all that to say that the, mm -hmm. the notes app apology does just feel kind of lazy and it's like a, a half apology. And also from everything I've heard from other people who seem to have been around this incident, it feels pretty clear that across the board, people are like, no, she did some really egregious stuff, both physically. And I do still think that there's a lot of reason to believe that she was saying things that were like racially charged. And I mean, mm -hmm. I believe that the specific thing is that like something about like telling the players to go back to their third world country. And I think also there being yeah. an accusation of her like calling people on the team monkeys, which like if either of yes. those things are true, that is not something that you can. I don't care if somebody kicks you in the groin, like you don't have the right to call somebody that or say that. Yeah, you don't get a pass with heat of the moment stuff with like saying something. Right. That takes more effort than just Yeah, like, if you say F you or call someone an asshole or a bitch or whatever, like sure. Mm -hmm. But like when it's racial stuff, uh, there's no excuse for that. Correct. And I believe when we covered this when it initially came out, I think it was like people from the Australia side saying that Liz said this stuff. So yeah. like that's tough when your literal teammates are the ones going to the reporters about it. Yeah. Like not a good look. So that's her apology. Blah. We'll see what comes of it. But I don't think we're seeing Liz in the WNBA or in an Australia uniform or honestly, maybe on any national team anytime in the near future. Yeah. Now, another one that is somewhat sad, but still happy in terms of good for them taking care of themselves. Ricky Rubio recently said that he's taken a step back from basketball just to focus on his mental health, put out a little statement saying, you know, please kind of respect my privacy, give me my time, hopefully I'll be back. And Rubio's only 32, but because he grew up in Spain playing basketball, he's basically been a professional basketball player since he's been a teenager, right. a preteen, yeah. like 14 or 15, I think is when he first started getting into like actual professional leagues. So yeah, if you're really going all out and giving it your all and being in peak physical form and dealing with injuries and travel mm -hmm. and all this stuff for basically 20 years of your life, I think you deserve and you have earned the right for a step back to make sure you're doing okay in mental health categories. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Also, not to make light of any of this, but it was it did occur to me that it would be kind of Funny if uh, if James Harden ever did the same thing and his press statement was like, I have decided to take a step back from my step back. Oh, wow. Wow. It, on a happier note, maybe when he retires, maybe he'll make a little tongue in cheek. That joke would be of, fun. I'm taking a step back mm -hmm. from basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, final thing that I just wanted to talk about, just to try to get more WBA stuff in the mix. I know inherently by the nature of the podcast, we are not here to talk about the wins and the losses. But if you do look at the wins and the losses of the WNBA standings, it is gross. Just in terms of there are three really good teams and then it's just a, a, a big mess other than that. Mm -hmm. I've really appreciated that the NBA, at least this past season, there was so much parody. It was really cool. Like you could feel like anybody could win. Right. And that is not necessarily the case right now in the WNBA. As we record this on August 10th, the Liberty are 22 and six. The Sun are 21 and seven. And the Aces are 25 and three, uh, which by my math is pretty good. <laughs> it is. But as you surely know, there was recently a, a marquee matchup where the... The Liberty hosted the Vegas Aces, and the Liberty beat the absolute shit out of them. I think they won by like 30-something yeah. points. 
it was a blowout. It was a blowout. And UNESCO went absolutely bonkers, hit six threes, was just like pulling up from Steph Curry land. It was a pretty pretty dominant game. Now, granted, this was in Brooklyn, so it was a it was a home game for the Liberty, but I think everybody expected that to be a, a, a close matchup and probably like a, a preview of the finals, which it still may be. But mm-hmm. that's that was quite a statement game. Yeah, a statement game for sure. Definitely had a lot of people going, hmm. Now, the only saving grace you could say for the Aces are that they are not at full strength. Mm -hmm. Candace Parker has been out for quite some time with an injury. I don't know if she'll be back in time for the playoffs, though. Maybe it's a possibility. So hopefully that could work for them so that, you know, each team has full force. You always want to see both teams be at full strength to really see how it goes down. You don't want to deal with asterisks. But as far as the rest of the league, aside from those three teams I mentioned, the next best team, so the fourth best team overall in the league, that would be the Atlanta Dream at 15 and 13. And then the fifth that team is, is the Wings at 15 and 14. Yeah. yeah, it's super top heavy. And even at the bottom, you have my beloved Storm, the Mercury and the Fever, all around like seven wins and 21 losses or so. Yikes. So it's interesting that there really are these like three big super teams. Mm-hmm. The Sun being more put together organically, the other two teams being very much like the free agents have gravitated. So I would hope that things can balance out a little bit. I understand just by nature of the league, sometimes this happens, but I would like to see there be a little more parity. Hopefully things can work out, especially with more money going into the league. I'm not exactly sure what the solution is, but I think it could be more fun if it's more than just three teams that really have a shot of winning. Is there a salary cap in the WNBA? Yeah, I believe they have pretty similar salary cap rules, max contract rules, stuff like that to the NBA. And there's been currently this whole thing of, oh, certain teams are putting more money into the Mm -hmm. team, like the Aces and the Liberty. And I think that's why some of the stars are gravitating towards those teams, because though they are restricted in travel, like the Liberty and the Aces maybe as well wanted to do Mm -hmm. chartered flights and they weren't allowed to, they are doing things that are still within the rules, like the Aces have that new really nice training facility and stuff like that. So maybe with more money coming into the league in general, more teams can start fleshing stuff out and people will want to go anywhere, Mm -hmm. not just some of the more marquee destinations. But I would hope that we can get to a spot where it's more even across the league, because I think that just makes the NBA really fun right now. And I think that would make the WNBA really fun. Because, I don't know, even me right now, it's just like, I'm not as intense on watching the games. I'm kind of just like, all right, I'm just going to kind of like wait till the playoffs, like before I like really dive in. And I don't like being Mm -hmm. in that phase of it where it's just like oh the aces are playing they're gonna win like they're 25 and 3 like come on i also think it's kind of fun that candace parker has the word ace in her first name that's kind of cool (gasps) oh if they haven't used that in their marketing yet what are they doing i mean all they would need to do is like do canned and then like ace capitalized yeah or a different color or something yeah 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 Mm-hmm. Gosh, uh, I should our, I should work in marketing. I mean, what are, what am I doing here? <laughs> our marketing ideas on this podcast are always great. Now, let's talk about the final thing that's great. Steph Curry sang Misery Business at the Paramore concert, which was really cool. It was. I feel like he even dressed the part. He was like all in black with glasses on, like totally just oh, leaning into it. You can tell he put a lot of effort and thought into the outfit because he even posted on Instagram basically like an outfit post of just like look at the dressing up i did i didn't know he was a big paramore fan i think it's super cool that he is that's a thing that paramore has been doing on this tour where they've been bringing up guest singers to sing misery business because Haley williams doesn't super enjoy singing the song that's basically a woman hating song like they famously didn't perform it live for years and years and then now they're doing it but they don't call the woman the w word in there mm. but 
they've been bringing on guest singers all across the tour. And for the most recent stop, Steph Curry did it. I will say he is not a good singer, but no. he put his full effort into it, and that's all that yeah. matters. It's great. It was it was really fun to watch it. Now, was it in uh, San Fran or Oakland or something, or where I was it? I think so. I, I'm guessing it was in the Bay Area, but I'm not 100% positive, yeah. but I would assume so. Yeah. No, it was really cool. And uh, also, a couple other Steph Curry notes. He is on a recent episode of Hot Ones, which I really, really enjoyed and highly mm. recommend. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but... Um, we'll put a link to that. It was a very interesting conversation. And that dude, Sean Evans, I think his name is like, he does mm -hmm. always ask very insightful questions. The research team of hot ones is fantastic. Yeah. Sean Evans maybe could have a bit better delivery as an interviewer, sure. but the questions that they ask, they do some really, really good research. Yeah. It's kind of uh, Sean Evans. And I, I don't know the guy. I'm sure he's perfectly nice, but he's a little bit like Carson Daly where I'm like, how is this guy mm. so famous? Like, what is his talent? He was the host of the very well, it's a very well-designed show. Like, it is perfectly. It's a great and, and show, also to yeah. cut on, And to cut on some slack, like, the nature of the show is it's one new question for each wing. And I yeah. think my biggest critique and something that I really try to focus on when I do interviews, either for my podcast or when I do things like LeakyCon and stuff like that, I try to make it really flow like a conversation the whole time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, by nature of the structure of 10 wings, 10 big questions, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to do that. But I find the more compelling episodes of Hot Ones to be the ones that feel more like conversations. The Jennifer Lawrence one is really good, not only because she She's so freaks out about how likeable. hot it is, but she keeps asking him questions and yeah. it feels more like a conversation right. and not just like, hello, here's a question. Hello, mm. here's an answer. Let's eat the next yeah. wing. How would you do on Hot Ones? I would die. I am not good with specifically like buffalo wing sauce has always been like my weakness. I feel like I would melt. I was sweating profusely at your 4th of July party because of <laughs> some sort of hot sauce that I'm sure like doesn't even compare to the bomb beyond insanity or whatever, whatever that like final mm -hmm. one is called. I think I would be fine for maybe the first four or five, but then mm -hmm. I think I would be in, in some pretty dire straits and I would like physically look bad and I would be trying to not embarrass myself. I would finish it just out of pride, but I would not mm -hmm, be happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could imagine the next day might be a little unpleasant. Yeah, I would be a mess. I will say about the 4th of July party, I did cook jalapenos with the veggies, and then I put the hot sauce in case anyone was a freak, and then everyone was putting hot sauce on it. And I was like, folks, there are Well, I think jalapenos. when you leave the seeds in the jalapenos, obviously, it's much mm -hmm. spicier. So that I think that yeah. was part of it. Also, mm -hmm. I have not watched this yet, but there is a Steph Curry documentary, Apple Plus. Yes. That's called, mm -hmm. I think it's called Underrated, I yes, want to say, is. but mm -hmm. it looks awesome. I've seen the trailer for it and he was, I think that's what he was promoting when he was on Hot Ones. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. I'm going to preemptively recommend this, even though I haven't seen it because I've heard it's great. You also can get, I think, a two month free trial of Apple TV Plus, like Steph Curry was doing a thing. There's some promo code, look it up. So if you just want two free months of Apple Plus on Steph Curry's dime, and then you want to watch Ted Lasso or yeah. whatever. Have at it totally. and then just set a calendar reminder so that yeah, you, you got to do that. unsubscribe right, right, before right, right. they charge you again. Yeah. But I believe Apple, unlike some of the other ones, I think Apple has the one where you can like hit unsubscribe and then they'll be like, you can still use the thing until whenever. But I like sometimes that, yeah. with the promotions, they don't let you. Yeah, yeah. I just know in the past when I've like legitimately purchased Apple mm -hmm. TV Plus, they let you do it. I don't know if the promotions are different, but that might be a thing. But yeah, right. you can get two free months. There you go. Yeah. So that has been Full Court Press. Get it to like the news. And now we can get into your three on three, Adam. Let's do it. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. Well, Mike, it's the summertime and we all know what that means. Tis the season of basketball movies being released because no one takes them seriously. Now, while there haven't been any big releases this year, aside from the remake of White Men Can't Jump starring actor, oh. apparently Jack oh. Harlow. <laughs> I've heard nothing but terrible yeah. reviews and I am not surprised at all. 
Yeah, honestly, I like Jack Harlow. I thought he did a good job hosting SNL. Like, I think he's a pretty charismatic guy. And like, maybe he will be a decent actor in various things. But mainly, I just think we need to stop remaking classic films that don't need remakes. Like, you're setting yourself up to fail. Is there anyone in the world who really needed a new Aladdin with Will Smith as the genie instead of Robin Williams? Like, was anyone clamoring for a, a Lion King with Billy Eichner? Like, why are we doing it? I guess the only thing is for that, it's animation to real life. But yeah, when you have a perfect <sighs> film like White Man Can't Jump, like why do you need to remake it if nothing is different? It's like when they remade Point Break. It's like, I'm sorry, we're remaking the movie with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze in it. How will you top that? Yeah. That's impossible. Yeah. I mean, I guess money is the answer, but I just, I don't understand. It's capitalism. It's sure. capitalism. Yay. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but all that to say, I thought it might be fun to do a totally biased, not at all subjective ranking of my favorite basketball films. Now, initially, I was leaning towards doing the three best and three worst basketball movies I've ever seen, but there's enough negativity in the world without me having to discuss the second Space Jam or Juana Man. And if you haven't heard of that second one, just Google it and prepare to be (laughs) horrified. I mean, you can look at what the plot is and you're not going to like it, but... Yeah, that's a good, let me Wikipedia plot read the paragraph and then move on with the rest of my life. Sure, yeah. It's like, it's offensive to the point that even in 2002, it was a pretty bad look. So to look at it <laughs> yeah. through the lens of a, a 2023 person, it's pretty pretty egregious. But yep. 2002, a year where the top song was Let's Get R Word by the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> that's the, the year we're dealing was with. Was it? Is that is that when that was? Roughly? Uh, Either way, I I understand what you're saying. It might be 2003. Let's get it started. Release date. Well, actually, I'm going to have to. I'm guessing that was when I was in college. Yeah, around that So that says 2004 for Let's Get It Started. But Let's Get Our Word was out for a full calendar year before they were like, maybe we should change this, guys. So, yeah, I think that was 2003. So, yeah, same time period. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. What are we doing? What a weird time. <laughs> very, very weird time. But instead of doing that, I have divided my ranking into two categories. My three favorite basketball movies, i.e. movies that are in some cases objectively not great filmmaking, but I just love them because of what they meant to me at that point in my life. And the three best basketball movies I have seen. Now, I should also cool. note that I have omitted documentaries for this list uh, because otherwise yeah. I would just spend half an hour talking about The Last Dance and, uh, you know, you would take that personally. I, you know, I would because I think Hoop Dreams is the best mm. NBA slash basketball documentary. Not even 38 minutes at the garden oh that one is really good 38 in the garden the Jeremy Lin one 38 in the garden yeah it's really good it is really good I like that one a lot yeah it's it's quite good it is good also he looks like he's from 2002 why is he dressed that way he's got like spiky hair and earrings and I'm very confused by all of it embrace your inner truth Jeremy Lin don't let Adam tell you otherwise dress like you're in NSYNC (laughs) (laughs) all right so I'm gonna start with the best because I think the favorite category is gonna be more fun arguably sure Um, at number three on my list of best basketball films I went with Air the recently released film about Nike's signing of Michael Jordan have you seen it I have not but I had Chris Chan when I stayed with him in Boston basically yell at me for having not seen it. So I will, I will have to watch yeah. it. Yeah. So the the film is about Nike's signing of Michael Jordan, a moment that fundamentally changed the course of basketball history and pop culture history um, forever. Now, to start with, the cast is absolutely stacked. It stars Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Jason Bateman, and most notably Viola Davis as Michael Jordan's mom. Now, while MJ is obviously a focal point of the film, you never actually see him other than like the back of his head walking into a meeting. And I think that is absolutely the right move. Like there, there's no way that you could have tried to have someone portraying him in that context without it feeling corny or people just being like, yeah, that doesn't really seem like because he's so recognizable. Like when you do a right. biopic about someone that everyone knows that well, it's very hard to pull that off. 
Yeah, agreed. So the film revolves around the struggling Nike basketball department, who at that time is in absolute shambles. Uh, the market was dominated by Converse and Adidas at the time, and Nike's basketball division was in such dire straits that there was speculation of them closing the department altogether and just focusing on running shoes, uh, which had been their bread and butter to that point, and the type of shoe that Nike had initially introduced. Matt Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro, a basketball scout who is tasked with finding a new face of Nike's basketball division. Now, obviously, the film took certain artistic liberties, but the way it's depicted is that Vaccaro becomes convinced that Michael Jordan is the answer to Nike's problems and that he will be a generational talent. He decides to try to allocate all of the money that Nike has for that department by putting all of his chips in the Michael Jordan basket and understandably gets pushback. This includes Vaccaro traveling from the Nike headquarters in Oregon all the way to North Carolina to meet with Jordan's parents unannounced. The bold move ultimately does pay off, but not without a lot of drama before we get to that point. Nike doesn't have the ability to offer Jordan what the bigger companies can, but Mrs. Jordan ultimately agrees to have her son sign with Nike under the condition that he earns a percentage of every pair of Air Jordans sold which was a completely unprecedented ask at that time. That's like so not how smart. it works. It's oh. incredibly smart and it's completely changed the way the business model works for athletes who have clothing lines, shoe brands, whatever it is. But she asks for those terms. Vaccaro doesn't know if he can agree to them uh, or if he would even be allowed to. But Nike CEO Phil Knight, played by Ben Affleck, ultimately agrees to do it. This move pays off in droves for Jordan and for Nike uh, as it becomes the primary brand in basketball with the immediate success of the Air Jordan 1s. And obviously, when you think about everything that's followed and kind of the butterfly effect of Jordan signing with Nike in that moment, you think of LeBron being with Nike and Kobe ultimately ending up with Nike and so, 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 so many iconic players having deals with Nike and in, a, in an alternate timeline where they don't sign Jordan or maybe they sign somebody who's a flop in the NBA, there just might not be Nike basketball shoes, period. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. What a big what if moment, sliding doors moment, if that didn't happen. Truly. So some highlights for me include uh, the fact that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon went to Michael Jordan to get his blessing to make the film. And one of his conditions was specifically that he wanted Viola Davis to play his mom. Like imagine how That's good rad. that would feel if you're Viola Davis. Not that she needs the validation of Michael Jordan, but like it's still pretty cool. Yeah. It's really cool. I like it a lot. And that's also got to be cool for Michael Jordan's mom to be like, hi, I'm played by one of the greatest actors yeah, exactly. of our generation. Um, <laughs> other highlights, Jason Bateman. I just love that dude. He's never not great mm -hmm. in everything. Chris Messina as Michael Jordan's incredibly cocky agent, David Falk. Uh, definitely like the comedic relief of the film. The dissection of why Sonny Vaccaro sees something in Michael Jordan based on his composure, uh, hitting a championship winning shot at North Carolina. And finally, the creation of the shoe itself and the fact that Nike agreed to pay every fine incurred by Michael Jordan for breaking the NBA's very strict dress code at the time. So mm. basically, like they knowingly created a shoe that the NBA wouldn't want him to wear because they knew that the press from that would be uh, like a net positive Way better. for them. Yeah, yeah. it's really, really mm -hmm. smart marketing. Did I need to see it in theaters? I absolutely did not, but I do recommend it for any basketball or even non-basketball fan. Let's move on to number two. I have another recent basketball film, Hustle, a straight-to-Netflix movie starring Adam Sandler. In this film, Adam Sandler plays a down-and-out basketball scout who has fallen out of favor with his employer, the Philadelphia 76ers. Sandler's character, Stanley Sugarman, has spent his life in airplanes and hotel rooms as an international scout, a lifestyle that has come at the expense of his ability to be the husband and father he would like to be. After all of that time on the road, it finally pays off when Stanley finally gets the chance to be an assistant coach with the 76ers, a job that will allow him to actually be at home with his family. 
While the 76ers owner is a champion of Stanley's, he dies and his hotshot asshole son, who couldn't care less about Stanley and doesn't like his authority being questioned, takes over and quickly demotes Stanley back to his old job of being an international scout. While overseas, uh, he discovers a raw, incredibly talented player at a pickup game named Bo Cruz, played by Juancho Hernan Gomez, who was phenomenal in this movie. Like, really, Mm -hmm. really, really good. Stanley sees something special in Bo, but he is unpolished, undisciplined, and largely uninterested in pursuing a basketball career. Uh, His responsibilities lie with his family and his young child, whom he does not want to abandon. Now, I won't completely give away the rest of the film, but needless to say, there are a lot of ups and downs, and I was completely riveted the entire time. To me, this film is the single best representation of the sheer amount of work and commitment and mental toughness it takes to actually make it to the NBA. Some highlights include Adam Sandler being understated and honest. Like, when this dude is not over the top. He is an outstanding actor, and I believed every moment of his performance. Wancho gave, I think, the best performance of a professional athlete that I've seen in anything. And there are good performances by other people in other films, like even Kevin Garnett in another Adam Sandler movie. Like, yes, he's right. playing himself, but I thought he was very good in Uncut Gems. But Wancho was was really, really, really good. Uh, Queen Latifah, as Adam Sandler's wife, struck the perfect balance of being supportive, but also holding him accountable for not being the husband and father that he should be, which I felt was refreshing given that so many films historically have just showed women like standing quietly next to a man just not saying anything. And then finally, Mm -hmm. the Rocky-esque training montages in Philly were great and managed to somehow not feel contrived in the way that a lot of sports films do. But yeah, I don't know if you've seen that, but I I highly recommend it. I saw parts of it, but I fell asleep during it because I saw it the last time I was in Chicago on tour and I had done like the live show. And then uh, my friend and I went out for like drinks on a rooftop bar. And then I also had an episode to do. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot on my plate that Sunday. So I fell asleep like, 20 minutes in. Fair enough. I'll have to watch it. But you should watch in the it. Future. Yeah. I, I don't think yeah. that's any sort of indictment of the of the film. I think you were just tired. Oh, I was exhausted. Yeah. So at number one on my list, I have a film that I haven't seen in a while, but is widely regarded to be one of, if not the greatest sports films of all time, Hoosiers. Uh, released Classic. in 1986, Hoosiers tells the story of a small town high school basketball team in Indiana that makes an improbable run to the state championship. The clear star of the film is legendary actor Gene Hackman, who's still alive, by the way. He's 93 years old. Good for him. Yeah. And he plays the team's head coach, Norman Dale. Hoosiers is basically the archetype for any basketball version of the Bad News Bears you've ever seen, meaning that Coach Dale takes over at a time of turmoil and dysfunction and slowly molds a ragtag team into champions by teaching them basketball and life lessons. It's the kind of film that when you watch it now, you're like, oh, come on, this storyline again. And then you remember like, oh, yeah, this movie invented this genre. Yeah. Any coach you can think of in a notable sports film uh, or TV show is influenced by Gene Hackman's masterful portrayal of Coach Dale. Like Coach Taylor from the TV show Friday Night Lights is probably the best example I can think of. Like the classic guy who everyone has doubts about, takes over, doesn't have immediate success. The townspeople turn on him, but the players buy in and he leads them to greatness sort of story. If you haven't seen Hoosiers, uh, it absolutely holds up. Some highlights include Gene friggin' Hackman, just start to finish, incredible performance. Dennis Hopper as the town drunk slash super fan, mm-hmm. a role that earned him an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Finally, one of the best scores ever written. I'm going to play a few seconds of it here, and then we'll put uh, a link to the whole thing. But it's it's really, really good. Also, the team, one of the coolest uniforms ever in basketball. Very oh, good uniforms. they're really good. Yeah, the like gold the and the pinstripe. crimson. Yeah. Mm, it's good stuff. 
All right, now it's time to move on to my favorite basketball movies. And again, I'm not saying that these are necessarily all well-made. They're just my favorite. So much in the same way that Rookie of the Year is probably my favorite baseball movie, despite being riddled with weird plot points and a fundamental misunderstanding of the rules of baseball, this list is purely heart overhead. Uh, At number three, we have the 2000 basketball romance Love and Basketball, Starring Sana Lathan. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Sanai Lathan, I believe. Sanai Lathan. Sanai Lathan and Omar Epps. To truly understand why I love this movie so much, you need to understand who and where I was in my life in the year 2000. When this film came out, I was 12 going on 13, and there were two things I wanted in the world. To be in the NBA and to have a girlfriend. Uh, Spoiler alert, (laughs) one of those things did not happen. And uh, the moral of the story is dream big. But also, if you're a chubby half-Indian kid whose vertical leap is 1.5 inches, it's possible that you might not make it to the league, and that's okay. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just trying to keep it real. Now, the coolest thing about this film is that it's divided into quarters, which is a fairly clever nod to basketball, but also a really inventive way to divide the movie into four acts, each of which covers a different period in the main characters' lives. So the first quarter depicts them as children who bond over their shared love of basketball. They're like growing up together. The second quarter shows them in high school as Quincy, played by Epps, and Monica, played by Lathan, are the respective stars of their high school's basketball teams. For Quincy, that means popularity and girls and adulation. For Monica, it means struggling to find her identity and realizing that Quincy is changing and not for the better in a lot of cases. Spoiler alert, they do find their way to each other, but obviously there's a lot of tension during that part. The third quarter shows them both attending college at USC by their own merit, not because of photoshopped crew photos. Um, (laughs) Their relationship begins to suffer when Quincy can't handle the pressure put on him as the assumed star of the team, and Monica struggles to get playing time and control her emotions when she butts heads uh, with the team's coach. But the fourth quarter, which I won't fully spoil, shows them as adults navigating all of the challenges that come with being a grown-up, and more specifically dealing with the disappointment that things don't always work out as you had planned. Uh, It's been a long time since I've seen it, but my memory of the film is that it was very ahead of its time in terms of representing the struggles and double standards involved with being an elite female athlete. Some highlights for me, basketball scenes that look like people actually know how to hoop. Like nothing takes me out of a sports film more. Lathan can hoop. Oh yeah. She can hoop. And Epps is like small, but he looks like he knows what he's doing. But like nothing annoys me more than when I watch a a sports film, especially about people who are supposed to be professionals and they look like amateurs, like dicking Mm -hmm. around at a a park. Um, Another highlight, just gonna be honest, a, a very sensual but tasteful sex scene that I found quite titillating as a youth. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, just how it's I feel. cool until you think about it and you're like, ah, they're 18 in the scene. Mm. Yeah, but it's not weird because I was 13. It would be weird. Exactly. Now. <laughs> yeah, I watched this movie a couple years ago uh, to guess on my buddy's podcast, Big Screen Sports. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, wait, it. I know the actors are yeah, like in their I'm 30s sure. because exactly. they are, they play the classic like the Dawson's whole, Creek, the whole like, age yeah. thing. Well, because it's the same actors right, when they're right, like right. in the final quarter. But yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I know they're in their 30s, but like, in the plot, they're sure. supposed to both be going to prom. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Um, and finally, Dennis Haysbert, a.k.a. the Allstate Are You In Good Hands guy, who plays Quincy's mm-hmm. NBA player father, uh, at one time his idol, but a man who is deeply flawed, uh, and his performance is excellent. Yeah, I will also say that what's very cool about the film, again, not to spoil stuff, it happens in a time when the WNBA didn't exist, is when Lathan's character graduates from college and to see what she has to go through Mm -hmm. in a professional world where there isn't just a clear track of like, yeah, and then you go to the WNBA. That I found to be the most fascinating of like, oh, that's what they had to do before. Yeah, I should watch it again. I mean, I looked it up and on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it has like, you know, 80, 85 percent 
fresh rating. Like, I think it is a good movie. movie. Because sometimes it's like the the things that you liked as a child, then you watch them as an adult and you're like, oh man, like, this is not good. I just liked it because I was 10. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I do. I do think it's a a good movie. All right, moving on. At number two on the list, we have He Got Game, a Spike Lee joint that came out in 1998, starring Denzel Washington and Ray Allen. Uh, Denzel plays the father of Ray Allen's character, Jesus Shuttlesworth. In the early scenes, we see Denzel pushing a young Jesus way too hard, and we also see how angry and violent he can be. He ultimately goes to jail for accidentally killing his wife after pushing her. Uh, Yes, it's very heavy stuff. Uh, And the film starts in earnest when he is released from prison and tries to reinsert himself back into his son's life. At this time, Jesus is a standout basketball player who everyone is talking about as the next Michael Jordan. While Ray Allen's acting performance leaves something to be desired, he does hold his own going toe-to-toe with, I would say, one of the greatest actors of our generation in Denzel right. Washington. He also just does talk like someone who is just a guy who's good at basketball. Like, right. he, if you w- watch and listen to some of these guys giving answers now, like, they're not the most charismatic people. They just play basketball, so it kind of works. Yeah, and I, I don't know how much that's, like, intentional versus just, like, that was the limit of what Ray Allen's yeah. capacity to act was, but it does actually work because, yeah, not everybody you see in an interview is super charismatic and charming. Like, a lot of athletes are somewhat awkward in, in front of people. What this film does an absolutely masterful job of is depicting the seedy underbelly of high-level athletics, especially at the lower levels like high school and college. The boosters, the sex, the drugs, all of it. Basically, the temptation that somebody has to avoid when everyone is looking to get in your good graces and do something for you so that you can return the favor for them once you make it big. This is best exhibited in a scene where Jesus goes on a college visit uh, and former Laker Rick Fox plays an alum of that same college team who shows him a a good time, to put it lightly. It's not a Mm -hmm. perfect film, but it is very, very good. And Spike Lee is a phenomenal filmmaker whose voice is always crystal clear. Um, Some highlights, hella cameos from NBA players, including a brief one from The Goat, um, the always great John Turturro as a basketball coach, a virtually unknown Rosario Dawson as Jesus's high school girlfriend who gets left behind as he faces more and more temptation, uh, and some truly phenomenal basketball scenes considering that a bunch of other NBA players also portray his high school teammates. So there's like Travis Best, Walter McCarty, a couple other dudes um, in those basketball scenes. And it's clear that like, oh yeah, these dudes are actual basketball players. Uh, and when Adam said the goat is in the movie, he was talking about uh, Stromile Swift is mm-hmm. in the film. <laughs> I was talking about Lionel Messi. A, a very young Messi <laughs> makes, a, makes a cameo. Is Stromile Swift in that film? No, he's not. He just has the coolest name ever of any NBA player that will ever That's live. That's a good pull. I'll, I'll remember that for my Immaculate Grids. I know he was on the Grizzlies and the Knicks. Was he ever uh, yeah, on the Knicks? Uh, maybe not. I don't, maybe I'm think, I don't think so. All I know is that he was on my pretend Houston Rockets mm. in NBA Live 2005. And he was there you a go. star. There you go. Finally, at number one, I have a movie that is not good, but that I love nonetheless. You guessed it. Space Jam. Released yeah. in 1996 and filmed in the summer between MJ's initial comeback from retirement and right before the Bulls embarked on their second three-peat, Space Jam is an integral part of my childhood. Is Jordan's acting great? Is it even good? Honestly, probably not, but who cares? Is it even acting? I Who can say <laughs> acting? Uh, I'm just going to give you all of the highlights for this one. Okay, first of all, one of the greatest soundtracks maybe of all time, including absolute bops from Seal, Coolio, Method Man, salt and Peppa, and also a great song from a man who I will not speak about because he's maybe a worse person than Carl Malone. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray stealing every single scene and being goddamn hilarious the whole movie. Charles Barkley getting bullied in a pickup game. 
That's <laughs> very ridiculous. Uh, Sean Bradley and Muggsy Bogues standing next to each other a lot. Those people are 7'6 and 5'3, respectively, and they are standing next to each other quite a bit, and it's very visually amusing. Wayne Knight, a.k.a. Newman from Seinfeld, absolutely feasting every moment that he's on screen. Uh, the friggin' Looney Tunes. Just Michael Jordan acting with Looney Tunes yeah. in the same way that watching Michael Caine interact with Muppets is the best. Mm-hmm. Like, watching the best basketball player of all time play with cartoons is just very funny. Uh, the spit shine, you know, love a spit shine scene with the Tasmanian mm-hmm, devil. Mm-hmm, Lola mm-hmm. Bunny being a babe. I'm sorry to say it. It was a different time. I get it. But, you know, come on. Tweety Bird being really cute. Some cute stuff from Tweety Bird. And finally, the line, Larry, that could have been me. If you know, you know. And those are my uh, my top three of each category. Uh, I'm going to have some some fun stuff in the expanded five on five. But that is uh, is what I have for you today. Very fun. I like it. That's good. What a what a good little list. And I look forward to my uh, five on five on five, where I just talk about the three High School Musical movies, which are all basketball films when you think about it. And also films where it is clear that those people do not know how to play basketball. Except for Zac Efron. Zac Efron can hoop. Oh. He can hoop. He's oh. very good. Now, Corbin Blue. And not hope. And you can listen to, I think, episode like four or five of fours for me to talk about how bad his shooting form is. Now, let's get into my that actually happened. So as we had mentioned earlier this week, I was in Chicago, a.k.a. the Windy City. And I had a really good time. I went to Lollapalooza. I did LeakyCon. I had a live show. So there's a lot going on. You could say that for my past couple of days that I was experiencing chaos in the Windy City. So I did a deep dive into the 1994 Super Nintendo classic basketball game, not really basketball game, starring Michael Jordan called Michael Jordan colon chaos in the Windy City. Have you ever played Michael Jordan chaos in the Windy City? I don't even know what this is. What uh, system was this for? The Super Nintendo. SNES. SNES. Yes, it's a SNES game. Came out in 1994. And I knew that this game existed, but I never really looked into it. I've never played it. And I'm very happy to share it with you, a big Bulls fan. Glad you didn't even know it existed. Here we go. Here's all the stuff about Cass in the Windy City. So basically following the success of NBA Jam, every game company was like, we got to make more basketball games because people are playing this in the arcades and they're loving it. So let's play some basketball games and people will want to buy them for their personal home arcade systems. So you had things like Charles Barkley's Shut Up and Jam. You had Mm -hmm. things like Scottie Pippen's Slam City. And then you have Michael Jordan Chaos in the Windy City. So Jordan famously was never in NBA Jam. And he's also not in a lot of other normally licensed games until much later. 2K paid him, I'm sure, a jillion dollars. And he was first in NBA 2K11. He was weirdly in NBA Street of all of the basketball games for him to get his likeness. He was in that one. And it really just probably always came down to money. Basically, when NBA Jam was in development, Michael Jordan was just in retirement. And the NBA had changed their policy about their licensing. They used to have just blanket licensing of if you were in the league, you were part of their licensing program. So if someone made a basketball game, they would pay for basketball licensing and they got the rights to all players in the league. But just around this time, you were allowed to individually opt out. So Jordan opted out. And then eventually you see guys like Shaq and Charles Barkley opt out. Barkley is still famously not in any NBA Mm -hmm. 2K game. And I think he's not in it for 
I think like now, like a moral reason, I think whether it's like players aren't getting paid enough for their likeness or something like that, like he doesn't want to be in the Hmm. game, not just for more money, which is what Jordan wanted. He just wanted more money to be in the game. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is any of these video games, they would always depict someone who was clearly Michael Jordan, but they just couldn't call it Michael Jordan. So it would be like roster guard number 99. Uh And then he would mm -hmm. be phenomenal. (laughs) But you just, you know, you, you didn't get to see the Bulls number 23 jersey. Oh, yeah. I had roster guard number 99. How could you not? And he was elite. He was elite. It's funny that they weren't just like super blatant about it and just called him like Jekyll Morden. Right. (laughs) I feel Jordan Michaels. It's right Right, there. Right. Like, come on. (laughs) They did give roster guard 99 and NBA shoot on 98 a big mustache to be like, this is not Michael Jordan. that's that's hilarious <laughs> but that game it's a ps1 game that i have i would love to know because it was one of those things where like everyone's graphics is just kind of like a picture of someone's face put onto polygons mm-hmm. i want to know who was the face for roster guard 99 like who was like my face is pseudo michael jordan that would be a I fun uh, little thing to put on your imdb page maybe it was the front of the back of the head that we see in air although that person was probably one year old when that came out yeah you know well maybe it was his dad or something who knows anyway Midway, who made NBA Jam, they didn't want to pay the extra money to get Michael Jordan in the game, but EA Sports decided that they would pay the money just for Michael Jordan to just make a Michael Jordan game. Now, he had been in other EA games in the past. He was in NBA Playoffs, which was just like a basketball simulation game, and they had the blanket right, so that was before Jordan opted out. And then he was in Jordan vs. Bird one-on-one, which is a very Super Nintendo-looking yeah. 8-bit, 16-bit It also reminds me of that McDonald's commercial. Isn't there like a famous McDonald's commercial with the two of them playing one-on-one? I believe so, yeah. Or they're playing horse, maybe? They might be playing horse. Yeah, but it's like, um, you know, whoever wins gets the fries mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Of course, because you they're know, millionaires. Yeah, they couldn't afford it otherwise. <laughs> they couldn't afford it. Uh, well, Larry Bird, who famously broke his back doing his own yard work and repaving his own driveway. Maybe to him, that was important. But then he was also in a game, Michael Jordan in Flight, which is a wild, bizarre basketball game. Just like very strange and interesting with like videos and graphics and stuff. But then they made this game, Michael Jordan, Chaos in the Windy City. So it came out in 1994 in November. This was two years before Space Jam came out and this was fresh into Michael Jordan's retirement. This was the beginning of retirement number Mm -hmm. one of Jordan. Now, what's interesting about this game, aside from the story, which I will get into, is that this game was the debut for Amy Hennig as the lead designer. So she got the job after the original designer quit. Hennig went on to become the person behind Jack and Daxter and Uncharted for Naughty Dog, which is like one of the most famous game companies now. And those are two of the most famous video games ever Hmm. that did really, really well. So this person whose first job in this type of role was doing this very strange, semi-beloved, semi-not-beloved Super Nintendo game, went on to have a great career. Hmm. So here's the story of Michael Jordan Chaos in the Windy City. So it's very comic book style in the intro. And that makes sense because this game is basically Michael Jordan is a superhero. So it's very comic book multi-panel kind of things. And you have Michael Jordan practicing for Scottie Pippen's charity game because he's retired, but he'll still do charitable efforts because Michael Jordan definitely is a good guy. So he's getting ready to practice for this charity game. But when he shows up to the court, All of his teammates are missing, but their stuff is there, which is strange. And then all of a sudden, a basketball with a note taped to it 
crashes through a skylight in the ceiling. So it must have been launched at quite some velocity. Yeah, you'd have to think so. Because it's just a regular ball. It breaks through, and on the note, it says, Mr. Jordan, if you want to save your pals, come to the Egyptian room in the Field Museum at midnight. Come alone. Signed, Dr. Max Cranium. Have you been to the Field Museum? I, I'm so glad you asked. It was my favorite museum as a kid. I cool. would go. What I, kind of museum is it? Is it's it like the Natural museum? History Museum. Um, so when you walk, mm. it's very much like the Museum of Natural History in New York. So uh, I remember as a kid who was like a lot of kids obsessed with dinosaurs. The first thing you see when you walk in is this huge uh, dinosaur fossil. I think it was like a, I can't remember if it's like a brontosaurus or a T-Rex, but whatever it was, it was like, it blew my mind to to see that as a, as a child. Also, just the plot of this game, I feel like sounds like how Fox News describes Chicago. <laughs> like it's lawless. Everyone is kidnapped and murdered every second of the day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Same thing that they do for New York. The number of texts that I would get when it was COVID and then there were protests like George Floyd and stuff, people would be like, oh my God, are you okay? I've heard New York City's on fire. I'd be like, no, we're good. I was in a protest. Everything was fine. We had water bottles and snacks and sunscreen. Like yeah. <laughs> everything is, everything's fine. We're good. Don't watch Fox News. Anyway, uh, so Michael Jordan reads this note on the basketball, and he says, man, this is serious. Better check it out, which definitely sounds like something Michael Jordan would say. And that night, he goes to the Field Museum. Uh. A guard lets Michael Jordan into the closed museum. Incredibly accurate. The most accurate part of the plot. Who's going to (laughs) turn away Michael Jordan? No, he can do whatever he wants. Perfect, perfect thing to have. He goes to the Egyptian room, and there is a secret door in the wall. He enters. He is carrying a basketball the whole time. He's in, like, full workout gear and everything, just in case. You never know. And he finds that he is at the entrance to an underground prison where some of his teammates are being held captive, so he sets out to find his friends. And then the game truly begins. So it's very much just like a side-scrolling platformer game, very much like Metroid, if Mm -hmm. you know the old Metroid games. And you are Michael Jordan. You run around. You do always keep your dribble. You're always dribbling, which is great, just in case a referee is going to pop out and call you for traveling. So you always dribble, (laughs) and you have infinite basketballs that you can fire at people. And sometimes you do chest passes, and sometimes you do behind-the-back passes, which is very cool. So you shoot basketballs at enemies. You can get different power-ups for particular types of basketballs, including homing balls, grenade balls, ice balls, fireballs, metal balls, bouncy multiplying balls, and boomerang baseballs, because he was into the baseball phase of his life. At ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so that is what you have in terms of combat. The other thing, of course, because it's a Michael Jordan game, throughout these levels, which are like evil warehouses and stuff, there are just basketball rims throughout it with backboards and everything. And there is a separate button where you can jump and dunk. And if you dunk, you get either power-ups or things that give you more life or things that increase your score, stuff like that. So throughout the levels, yeah. you must also dunk. Mentioning the uh, the dribbling thing, I think it would have been great because it was around the same time. You know how in uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple, there were like temple guards who would jump out at random oh, times? Yeah. It would be cool if there had been like referees that would jump out and call you for traveling. And so you had to keep your dribble because you didn't know where they were hiding. Love that, love that. I was always terrified as a kid that temple guards might come out and get me. The scariest thing ever. Just in life, not even if you were on the game show. Just open your closet and... Oh, no, you're just in school and then a temple guard comes and you better have a pendant of life on you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Jeez. And then trying to figure out the shrine of the silver monkey, the hardest puzzle ever The shrine of the silver monkey. So good. Gosh, it was just a three-piece statue. How is it so hard? Anyway. uh, (laughs) It's also like just literally just you saying the the words EA Sports. I just immediately heard that thing at the... the, It's in the game. Yeah. 
EA yeah, Sports. Like, it's in the game. Good branding. Good branding. Great branding. So those are all of the basketballs that you can fire. You fight off lots of different bad guys, including mechanical spiders, zombies with basketballs for heads, uh, the press and paparazzi trying to take your photo and uh, get your autograph and write articles about you. So very much playing into the Michael Jordan lore. And this was like pre-Princess Diana. This is ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And then you also fight pythons made out of basketballs. Now, sure. you also have when you're going through the levels, there's music. And of course, like the bass in the songs is dribbling basketballs, which is really nice, good. Nice, nice, nice. You also have a super jump that you can do where Michael Jordan does a somersault, the gymnast that mm-hmm. he is. And they did not only get the rights to Michael Jordan and his licensing and Jordan brand and all that kind of stuff. They also got some voice acting in Michael Jordan. I believe the only voice acting is that before a level begins, he goes, it's showtime. <laughs> <laughs> so... That is all of the mechanics of the game. Here's what goes down for the rest of the story. There are four major boss battles. There are five levels. And so before the first boss battle, Maximus Cranium, your big bad, he explains that he is a genius extraordinaire who will pay Michael Jordan handsomely to play for his basketball team. Very interesting that it's uh, predating Space Jam and it's basically the same plot. I wonder if those things are related. Who can say? We'll have to see. Now, Michael Jordan says, no way, which is very much a Michael Jordan thing to say. And he says that it's too late because he's retired and then asks, where have you been with you in all caps? And then question mark, exclamation point. Pretty good stuff. All of the Michael Jordan dialogue sounds like not Michael Jordan at all. Then Max says that Michael will eventually play for him and all of his teammates will eventually play for him, even if he has to clone them. Michael Jordan says not if he can help it adding that there's only one doctor in basketball and he's retired too, making a Dr. J reference. Nice. And just a a big snub to Dr. Dunk. That was just, uh, I think, just some absolute shame. Daryl Dawkins? I always thought it was Daryl Dawkins, but I did just Google it and it's Darnell Hillman, according to the internet. So maybe there are multiple Doctors Dunk. I don't know. Let me see. Daryl. I thought Daryl Dawkins was Dr. Dunk. Daryl Dawkins. A.K.A. A.K.A. Dr. Dunk? I thought he was Dr. Dunk. Internet? I don't know. What's up? Well, I guess there's your answer. Uh, That's why he only talked about Dr. J. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I stand potentially corrected. Anyway, Michael Jordan makes a great Dr. J joke. And then Max Cranium says, you better not anger me because my newest invention is more basketball than you can even handle. And then it is a monster comprised solely of basketballs. So then you defeat that. You go through more levels. Before boss battle number two, Max asks Michael Jordan, who he calls Mikey, if he's enjoying his little game, which should be more challenging than the game you're used to. Michael says not quite because he can beat Max at any game. Max challenges him at that, saying that he used to throw a nasty spitball. Michael Jordan says he's never heard of him being written about in the press, asks what team he played for. And Max says that MJ is getting on his nerves and he has something electrifying for him. And then you fight a Frankenstein robot with zappy type powers. Hmm. And then before boss battle number three, Max says that Michael Jordan doesn't give up easily. Michael Jordan says, of course not. And he won't leave until he finds his whole team. Max says that his latest creation will change his mind because it's a bit screwy. And then it's a flying robot with giant drills. And then before you fight Max Cranium himself in a big Michael Jordan neck robot situation, there's no dialogue. You just fight him and you just beat him. And then you get (laughs) to the final thing when you beat the game. There are two endings you can get when you beat the game there's like the good ending and then there's the great ending when you save everybody and you do all the bonuses and stuff there are also power-ups gatorade and wheaties are power-ups and they are legitimate sponsors in the game they show up on the scoreboard in between levels so very on brand for michael jordan so 
This video that I was watching had someone getting the great ending. In the great ending, the game tells you that you personally, the player, have entered Michael Jordan's personal Hall of Fame. Whoa! There's confetti all around. Michael Jordan does a little celebration move. And then as the credits roll, he starts running across the screen, high-fiving all of the teammates that he has saved, <laughs> who are definitely modeled after his contemporaries in the NBA, but they don't have the rights to him, so you don't get it. But, like, there's a dude who for sure looks like Barkley. There's a guy who definitely looks like Rodman. Like, there's yeah. clearly his teammates and opponents. And you just run through, you high-five everyone, and then when you're done high-fiving, you just dribble in place and sometimes spin the basketball on your finger as the credits continue to roll. And that's the end of the game, and that's Michael Jordan Chaos in the Windy City. Amazing. But now, you've never played this game, right? You just looked at No, up the, I just yeah. watched yeah. someone play it, and I think that was the better approach. Overall, it didn't do well sales-wise, but people thought the game was fun. It was interesting it was cool to have like a basketball game but not really yeah people love everything about it except for the controls apparently the controls are like really really janky and that's hard when you have a platformer type game where you need to jump and get yeah, specific yeah, yeah. enemies and you can only shoot basketballs either like directly horizontally mm -hmm. or straight down if you mm -hmm. do the dunk thing so it's just like really difficult to manage so everyone's like it's good and it's it should be great but the controls make it not as much fun well, that was uh, that was quite the ride, and uh, thank mm -hmm. you for bringing that into my life. Of course, yeah, that game, it was made. It actually happened. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Kensei Suramaki. The music is by Bettina Kampamanis. The art is by Alison Wakeman. The website is by Kelly Schubert. And the social media is by both of the Horse Boys. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris. How about them world champion Denver Steam Nuggets? Anna Reed, Steph Curry has pipes. Whoa, I never meant to bang. More inappropriate than I expected, but I'm, I'm with it. Uh, hi, Trish, Nicole, Arsenal, Stubby Boardman gets paid, Chase Underulo, Mr. Bubbles plays ball, Naked Rachel, and Sydney Crosby is a vampire. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops was run by one of those snakes that was just made of basketballs and then Michael Jordan vanquished. I ball. absolutely have no tolerance for basketball snakes. I won't do it. Mm -hmm. I just won't do mm -hmm. it. But mm -hmm. you can go to our website horsehoops.com uh, for links to some of the fun stuff we talked about including footage of that very video game and also the full Hoosiers score. Yes, and if you want to support the Horse Boys, you can do so in a number of ways. You can go to patreon.com slash horsehoops and get access to bonus content and bonus audio video, all sorts of stuff. Have your name read with the producer level patrons, all those sorts of goodies. And then you can also go to horsehoops.com slash merch, get sub nerds shirts and other digital goodies like wallpapers, ringtones, and past live shows. But we're going to close this episode out, as we always do, by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. Anything, uh, anything we're feeling in particular? Well, you know, this episode is going to air theoretically on the day that we have our first playoff game for our Gotham Comedy Ooh. Club softball mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. So I think just a one, two, three Gotham like we do before the games is the move. Let's do that. Gotham on three. One, two, three. Gotham! Gotham! Let's get that dub. I really hope we win. I know. I really hope we win. I'm just glad we're, we're both, Mike and I both would have missed this past week and then it rained and we were both secretly pretty happy about it. Thank you to Weather. We appreciate you. Except for all the times that you rained out the games that we wanted to go to. In that case, we don't appreciate you. We did not appreciate you there. Yeah.